You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, attorney Dan Mayer and licensed counselor, Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Joining us today is Jessica Tapana. Some of you may already know that she is a licensed clinical social worker who believes deeply in the power of therapy to transform lives. She balances running a private pay group psychotherapy practice, maintaining a small clinical caseload herself, and running simplified SEO consulting, which helps therapists get their websites ranking on Google in an ethical, client-focused way. At Simplified SEO Consulting, she has a small team of SEO professionals who all have at least a bachelor's degree in a field closely related to mental health, and all are committed to getting mental health professionals in front of their ideal clients through improving their search engine rankings for carefully chosen words. And um, I want to personally also welcome you, Jessica. Um, It's exciting to have you today um, because we haven't yet had anyone on talking about what you're, we're, we're going to have you talk about today. So I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you. And I'm so excited to be here as well. I've already mentioned to you over email that I am, this is a topic <laughs> I am so passionate about. And so just thank you for having me on. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, that Dan and I have talked about from the very beginning is that on this podcast, we really want to be talking about all of the really important clinical, ethical, and legal topics that come up for mental health practitioners. And I know that you've had some really interesting things to say about ethics as it relates to SEO and online marketing. And in both areas, SEO and marketing are areas where that's not part of our training, Um, but you have experience with ethical issues that show up in these areas. So we are both looking forward to picking your brain and hearing from you on this topic. Sounds good. I'm excited to dive in because there's so much. You're right. It's not SEO online marketing, marketing in general, aren't topics that are discussed pretty much at all in our field during our education part. And then when we go out and we start a private practice um, or even some positions that aren't private practice, uh, we have to do these things. And so um, trying to figure out, okay, how that fits with the values and ethics of our profession, I think can be quite the challenge. And I do apologize. I do have a cold today. So uh, if at any point you can't hear or understand what I'm saying, let me know and I'll repeat myself but it's a great topic to dive into. Well, we're glad that you're here, cold and all. No, we're not glad for your cold, but we're glad that you are here despite your cold. I know, you know, just based on what Melissa was saying, uh, you you have a lot of things going on on, on, on your plate right now. So I first want to start off with maybe the obvious or not so obvious question is, you know, how in the world did you end up doing this? You know, I know, you know, as Melissa said, um, that you have your own private practice, um, but was this something you always wanted to do? You know, did you discover you liked it, and then this is how you got involved in doing SEO? You know, what brought you to this place where you're become essentially an expert, in my opinion, on this? Yeah. So no, I didn't always want to do it. I always wanted to have a private practice, and I think in my mind, I had this dream that I was going to go into private practice, and hour after hour, all week, see clients that I would see, you know, thirty clients a week, and that was the dream. But what I found really quickly once I opened my private practice is that there was more of a need for mental health services in my community than I realized. And I started to have therapists approach me and say, hey, can I join your practice? I was like, well, okay, sure. Let's let's do this group practice thing. But I found that most of the referrals I had called 
and wanted to speak to me. They were given my name by somebody. So I needed a marketing technique that would get them to call Aspire Counseling, not Jessica Tapana. And I kept hearing I needed to go network, you know, a million hours a week and all of this. And quite frankly, I had a newborn baby and did not have the time whatsoever to go do a bunch of marketing. I mean, a bunch of networking. So I taught myself SEO when my kids went to sleep. I had a newborn at the time and she'd go to sleep and I would start listening to every podcast I could find, reading every book. And I'm completely self-taught. And those that know me best think it's hilarious because I'm not great with technology at all, but I knew <laughs> that I needed to figure this out. And so once it worked and I had was at the top of Google for some of the things that I wanted to be known for, and we were getting steady calls and I was growing my group practice. I think we grew to like five clinicians in 18 months, you know, in a fairly quick period, since 18 months after opening my practice. So at that point, friends started saying, well, what are you doing? Other group practice owners. And I would help them either by teaching them or doing some work on their site. And I joke that Simplified is the business that I accidentally started because at some point I was like, wow, this is enough people that I need to actually get an LLC for it. It shouldn't be, you know, it's not the same service as what my LLC is for. And so that's when, thank you for the clapping for that. I appreciate that because that was a hard decision, you know, right. to it. But it was, com- it was a completely different service that I was providing. And so it just didn't fall under the description that we'd given for the initial LLC. So we created an LLC for Simplified and um, then uh, quickly brought on staff and have grown from there. But it's the accidental business. Awesome. So along the same line, since we're, we're kind of talking about just some of the, the how you got into it and the basics, you know, there, I, I'm sure that there are those who are listening um, who, of course, know about SEO. But I also know from my own experience as an attorney working with practitioners, there's a lot of people who don't know, you know, like you yourself said, um, a lot about technology or and some are even maybe find it intimidating to use it. Um, so my question to you is, you know, what is SEO? What does it stand for? Why is it important? Why should practitioners care about it? So search engine optimization is any change that you make to try to get your website to rank better on search engines. Mostly people are talking about Google because that's the big one, but also Yahoo being other search engines as well. And so this can fall into a lot of different categories. We do a lot of work with what's called on-page SEO, which is making changes on your website to help Google understand what your website is all about and what it should rank for. There's also off-page SEO that you can do that we do some work with as well, which is building backlinks to your website, getting other people to point to your website. And then there's local SEO, which is trying to really communicate to Google where you're located through Google My Business, as well as content on your website and getting your name, address, and phone number kind of all over the web. And so there are all these different components. The truth is that Google considers over 200 factors when deciding where to rank your website. And so when somebody searches for couples therapy, there are over 200 things that Google's algorithm is considering when deciding who to put at the top. And um, and that can feel really overwhelming at once because you really can't change 200 things all at the same time. So usually um, SEO work focuses on you know just a handful of things uh, of those 200 ranking factors. They, they couldn't just make it easy, huh? No, not at all. Well, and they do updates all the time. We get a couple core algorithm updates every um, every year. And people in the SEO world, I'm on some SEO boards too, get all nervous about it. So far, generally, um, it's all about uh, the algorithm updates usually are like caring more about client experience and stuff. And so what we found is a lot of times 
therapist website. Don't take huge dips. But yeah, it's complicated to start with. And then Google keeps changing it. Right. Along those same lines, you know, especially now that you kind of, you know, uh, elucidated for us about, you know, how complicated it can be, you know, what type of uh, tools um, are required to do SEO? Yeah. So... When I first started out, I didn't have any tools. Now I now software is my biggest expense after paying staff um, because there are all kinds of fun tools. And so it can be as complicated or as simple as you want. Um, generally, the biggest tool you need is backend access to your own website or um, to be working with somebody else who understands SEO and has that access um, to make those changes. Keyword research, there are a lot of really fun tools for that. I have a couple of paid tools and love to play around with those. Keyword research means trying to figure out what search terms your ideal clients are putting into the search engines. The first time I was asked what my keywords I wanted to rank for were, I said prolonged exposure because that's the type <laughs> of therapy I do. <laughs> I mean, Dan, have you ever heard of prolonged exposure? No. And I, and I work in practice and no, I haven't at all. So, so as you can imagine, the search volume on that is extremely low. Nobody's looking for prolonged exposure. They're looking mm -hmm. for trauma therapy or PTSD treatment. Sure. And so, you know, that's probably the first thing where a tool comes into play. Sometimes it's doing a Google search and looking at suggested searches. It can be that simple starting out. So I did. I looked for prolonged exposure, you know, early on. It was like, oh, Google's suggesting these. And so that's a free resource. Um, from there, you can get really complicated and pay hundreds of dollars a month like I do for different tools. Um, but yeah, it, the tools really vary and just depend on how complicated or simple you want to make it. I, you know, and it sounds to me like just based on what you've told us already, you know, this is why it may make sense for the average practitioner to um, hire someone like yourself. Because you know, if you're trying to run a practice and you know, Melissa and I can both tell you, you know, her as a practice owner, as me as an attorney, there is a hundred different other things you need to be focusing on. You're a practice owner too, and you know this. And, you know, adding this to your plate of having to learn it and then try to do it and do it well, because that's really what's important here as well. As, as in addition to that, is that it's not just that you do it, right? But you need to really be doing it well. And because it's constantly changing, you know, we, most and I have talked about having your team. Um, we've talked about the need to have an accountant. We've talked about the need to have um, an attorney. And it sounds to me like it also is important to have someone like you um, in a practitioner's corner as well, helping them kind of do this because it's just too much. It feels like to, you know, do on your own, which actually leads me to kind of a, an additional point. And, and really, what we do on this podcast is compliance, and and that's what my next question is going to be: is you know, what are the most uh, common ethical issues that you see that come up with your work um, with mental health practitioners? Um, and then just kind of an additional point. Uh, is there, are there other additional um, ethical mistakes they make besides those issues that, may, that maybe you see come up? Yeah, I would say that most of the mistakes that we make come from really well-intentioned um, practice owners who just, uh, this isn't their area of expertise. They don't know all of Google's um, suggest, you know, guidelines and um, they just don't, they're accidental mistakes, not purposeful mistakes. So we see things like, well, I do Gottman therapy, so I'm going to copy, you know, this great blog post from Gottman and put it on my website. Well, of course, that's that that's copyright issue mm -hmm. right there. Not to mention Google's going to penal Google is not going to rank you very high for that blog post because Google's going to look at it and be like, oh, we've seen this before from a much more reputable site. Um, we see people who uh, photos on that they don't have rights to put photos on their website and don't give credit where credit is due nor pay for those photos. Um, or break the terms of service of wherever they 
got those photos from because um, you can purchase photos, but then in the fine print, it says they shouldn't go on depict someone as having a mental illness. And so that's a really common mistake that, you know, we just don't know. We just aren't taught those things. We see people who buy backlinks, who get these emails. What's really funny is as you rank better on SEO, and Melissa, I don't know if you've had this experience, but as you rank better on search engines and have better SEOs, you get more cold calls, essentially more people reaching out saying that your SEO sucks. And here, we're going to make it better if you'll just buy a thousand backlinks. Well, buying backlinks is a black hat technique. Well, I don't know that I should quite label it that strongly, but it's not recommended by Google. It's against their guidelines. And so people do this, you know, completely unknowingly. And then over time, you know, get penalized for it. And we've had multiple people come to us and with thousands of backlinks that they had purchased, many of which are being flagged as spammy. We have people that misrepresent themselves because they get so excited to try to rank for a keyword that there's a lot of search, but maybe they don't have that expertise. I know in my area, there's a decent amount of search for psychologists. I am not a psychologist. Nobody on my staff is a psychologist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker that also has LPCs on my staff. I do kind of rank for psychologists, but I've done it in a very careful way, like having something on my website about the difference between a psychologist and a social worker. But some people will be like, oh, I need to get the word psychologist all over my website when they don't actually, you know, have that credential. And so these aren't, you know, what I see with practice owners is a couple things, or they ask for review from reviews from their clients on Google because somebody outside our field told them to, because that does help with SEO. It's just against our, most of our codes of ethics. And so I think, you know, we'll probably talk about some of those in more depth, but the mistakes that practice owners make really come from a good place of just not thinking about the consequence, or sometimes they come from getting advice from someone that doesn't understand their code of ethics. And I'm just laughing, you know, because the people listening can't see Dan's face, but he's literally here, like making all of these cringing faces as Jessica is talking. I'm I'm like grabbing my desk and like, I'm I'm starting to like get, you know, reclaimed here. Um, And, uh, (laughs) but, but now I was going to ask Melissa, have you, um, you know, because you have a practice as well, Melissa, you know, and you run a really great practice as well. But have you come across any of that in your own, you know, running your own practice with SEO, using SEO? Have you come across that where you've had some of these issues come up or these quandaries come up for yourself? Not so much the quandaries. I do get the emails Jessica is talking about, right. hey, get help with your website or this, that, and the other. And I'm like, why are you emailing me? Um, I do get those emails. But I do see the issues that she's talking about come up in the community. I've seen plenty of group practice owners say that they've found another practice owner who has copied their website content. I've definitely heard about people getting into trouble, not intentionally, but you know, because of photos and even people who are doing things online with photos to kind of catch people. I've heard of scenarios like that where they're, you know, people are not the clinicians, but other people are being unethical trying to catch someone using their pictures so they can say that was my picture. So those are definitely things that people have to think about. Those are things that we think about as well in terms of where do we get our images from and just making sure that the content is our own content as well. It's interesting. I actually had a client who I worked with recently where we they were contacted by someone, an organization that represented, I think like the... Um, I can get the name wrong, but it's like the agency press of France press or something like that. They do a lot of the, um, a lot of the stock art, stock photo photography, and they found an image they really liked and they put it on their website. They got a nice letter saying like, Hey, by the way, that's copyrighted. We need to have proof of license. And, and they came they're like, 
you know, this person's threatening legal action. What does this mean? I'm like, do you have the license? They're like, no, I just found the web. I'm like, that's a problem. So we had to contact them and they actually had to pay a small amount of fee. Um, I think it was under 500, but still uh, uh, an amount to cover the cost of the use of that picture. And in talking with that office, they were like, you know, if you don't, if they don't do it, we're going to refer this to legal counsel. Um, and so I went back to the person. I was like, this is not worth the fight. You should just pay the 450 and be done with it. it sucks. But, you know, this is going to get it off the desk. We don't want this going to attorney where there's going to be then attorney's fees. Um, and so this is an exact issue of using copyrighted material without properly licensing it and crediting it came up recently with the client. So it's interesting you mentioned that. <clears throat> it's such a common issue. And it's just, you know, it, it's never intent. I've yet to meet therapists who told me, yep, I knew I stole it and I was okay mm-hmm. with it. I figured I wouldn't get caught. I just don't hear that. Really, I see it falling into two scenarios. First of all, people legitimately just borrowing a photo that they like from someone else. Um, I've seen practice owners who their photos are of their own office, and then that photo ends up somewhere else that clearly is somebody else just taking that photo. And so that happens. And then the second thing is kind of what Melissa was talking about. One of the very popular free stock images places is Unsplash. And we've had multiple clients. Those are supposed to be free. And people will download those photos, use them on their website, and then get this like letter similar to the one it sounds like your client got mm-hmm. when they were on a they download it from a free site that says they can use that in any way they'd like. Um, and so uh, a lot of our clients were like, if you want to use Unsplash, you need to on like give credit, say download from unsplash.com on such and such date, photo credit given because Unsplash does tell you where the photo, you know, who took the photo, the and so you give you give credit to the artist that put it up. You say exactly where you got it and the date, because otherwise, when they come back to you and they're like, "This was ours. You've infringed on. You know, mm-hmm. you've taken it. You owe us a bunch of money." Um, and you're like, "But I got it from Unsplash." And they're like, "Prove it." It can be really hard to prove. I had one client that would take screenshots every time they download a photo from Unsplash of it on Unsplash because they were like, "I'm going to cover." myself and make, you know, I can't afford stock photos that cost money right now, but by golly, I'm going to prove it was on Unsplash if I'm ever asked. Well, it's interesting to say, oh, sorry. Yeah, Melissa, I was just going to add one point, which is interesting to say that because I asked the person in in my scenario, I said, do you have the license? And they're like, I don't remember. I'm like, maybe it's in my email somewhere. I have nowhere to find it. I'm like, then you should just pay the money. Because I'm like, if you don't know if you have it, there's no way. How are you going to prove it? So anyway, sorry, Melissa, you're sorry. Yeah. And I was just wondering, Discut, on the note of Unsplash, if you're seeing that issue come up with people who use, for example, Squarespace, right? Squarespace, now you can upload pictures from Unsplash directly. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that issue come up with anybody who is using Squarespace, which is, you know, which has some type of connection to Unsplash. Yeah, there are a couple of those building platforms that have that sort of integration. And I just recommend people don't use it because they can't prove where they got it and from when. And I think it's also important that you look at the terms of service on these mm-hmm. things. Too, and you can't see that. You're just uh, downloading photos that are integrated. I think that we want to beat the mental health stigma. And so it's really easy. And mental health is being talked about more in the world. So it's really easy for us as clinicians, I think, to forget that it is still so stigmatized. And so I always suggest that before downloading photos, you look at the terms of service that you are, um, that you are of the, of wherever you're getting your photos. Um, I've even had issues with, with their terms of service say that people can't be depicted in a way that might be interpreted that they have a mental illness. 
I email asking for clarification, I get clarification basically telling me, oh, ignore that part of our terms of service. You can totally imply that. And it's like, um, nope, not going to do that. So we're really, you know, the, the longer I do this, it feels like we get more and more careful. I have this dream of, we do have some of our own photos that we've taken for things. Um, where we wanted faces shown that we use. There's a photo of me that goes up on a lot of EMDR sites that we work on because I've take because I took a series of myself doing EMDR because I'm like that is so much safer than uh, potentially you know messing with the term you know not going against the terms of service because my assumption and Dan you might be able to give us a better idea but my assumption is that if they came back my little email you know I could show the email and maybe that would help me but at the end of the day if their terms of service says I can't use it that way, then um, I need to be aware of that. Generally, my advice to clients is if there's terms of service and writing that you've signed or have been made aware of, you probably should not be violating them because they've put that in writing for a specific reason. <laughs> well, and that's important to know in general, right? Because I think a lot of times people think about the terms of service as being like this little thing on the bottom of a website that nobody actually reads. But knowing... Like the fine print. Yeah, read the fine print, read the fine print. Make sure that right. you know what it says and just because it looks insignificant and it's somewhere on the bottom doesn't mean to overlook it. Like you actually do need to read it to make sure you're doing what you need to do. I was just going to say how many people do you think right now are listening to this podcast be like, "Oh my god." <laughs> and if they are, they're in very good company. And you know, it might take time to change out pages on, you know, photos on your website and such. But at least giving thought and knowing that like, okay, you do, you have been using those photos that you shouldn't use and being aware of this could come back and having this plan for how you're going to handle it as you slowly change out your photos. Most of us, if your website's been around for a while, have so many photos that they're not overnight going to be able to go through and change all their photos. If it's a brand new website, go do that. But otherwise, my advice is like, be very aware and be very thoughtful because because I have seen a number of times where these things have come up for clients a ways down the road. Now, for anyone who's like, eh, but what's the likelihood of that happening? You know, I don't really have to worry about those things probably. Like, you know, the chances are slim to none that that's going to happen. So for anyone who says that, I'm wondering, Jessica, one, what you might say to that. And two, maybe if you can talk to some of the consequences you've personally seen people experience as a result of not knowing. Yeah, luckily, I've not seen any major consequences. Most of our clients are able to delete the image and um, kind of go on from there. Or I do have a couple that have been able to, to have that proof because I've given them the heads up. I've been talking about this now for quite a while. And so luckily I've had people that have avoided that, but I will say it is, it is a risk. And there was a time, you know, where I taught, where I used Unsplash, some of my first few clients. And so one of them did get one of those letters and I was like, okay, delete the photo. Let's work through this. But that was, you know, I, I didn't know that that would happen with Unsplash. I hadn't read about this. Um, and so we kind of worked through that. They, they were able to delete the photo and not have any further consequences, luckily, but I don't think that that's always the case. And so I talk to my team a lot about how I want to be like air on the side of extreme caution because sure, it might not be a huge chance, but if my website happens to be one, it happens to, it costs me money, you know, for some, for some practices, even when he was saying 450 for some practices, that's not a big deal, but we work with a lot of clients that are really still in that growth stage of their practice where that would be a lot. That would be really, you know, um, concerning for them. And so I, I tend to be like, let's err on the side of 
extreme caution. Yeah. Well, and it, and what I was going to say is interesting because with the practice I was working with, the 450 was a big deal. What was interesting, though, was the letter we received, and this is what really concerned me, was it was like, it literally said, you can take this photo down and it's still not going to change things because you've used it now and therefore you owe us the money. And so that's when I was like, we need to have a discussion because they're saying they're still going to do something if you, even if you take it down. They actually sent us a picture of the website with the picture on it. So... Yeah, but your point, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, it wasn't the $400, $50 was not a minor issue. But what I said to them was in the grand scheme of things, if we're weighing, you know, what's the prolonged cost going to be if you don't do something? It's going to be more if you, than if you just took care of it now. Yeah, and for 50 plus the cost of your attorney if you have to get one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> we're talking to you That's right fun. here. You don't for free. And the lost Not usually <laughs> and the lost sleep and the stress. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. I think that we so undervalue our time. And when these issues come up and they cause us a ton of stress, I, I don't know. I just think that we underestimate the cost of that. And so if we can avoid that level of stress, uh, you know, as practice owners, we have a thousand other things that we're worried about. Um, so, so many of these things, you know, I, I think that I have a reputation of being like pretty firm when it comes to any of these things. Um, I know I told Melissa, all of my staff signed the NASW code of ethics. Um, it's simplified. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of, um, com- we're constantly talking about values and ethics and specifically the ethics of the profession since well over 90% of our clients are private practice owners. And so, you know, we're constantly having those discussions and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come down every single time on the side of extreme caution because I don't want the headache later. Like, I just don't want the stress because I have too many real quote unquote things that I need to be stressed about. So, well, and Melissa and I've had other guests on and where we've talked about this peace of mind um, aspect. And that is that, you know, the services that you provide or that other guests provide, sometimes that peace of mind, you know, it's such a critical part being able to keep sane while running a practice, which is enough to often drive people insane, that that's, I think, is what an advertiser, a good advertiser for why your services are so needed. Because if you're willing to spend a little bit of extra money to get services like from someone like yourself, the weight, the amount of stress and weight you're taking off shoulder because you're having someone help you with this can be so just, <laughs> it can just be so weightlifting. You know, you can't, I think, put value on that, how it's invaluable. And it's also a question of how you would rather spend your money, right? Like, you know, new practice owners might not want to spend money, period. But if you had to choose between spending your money in a way that is productive and proactive, SEO, for example, you can put your money out that way versus, you know, spending your money because you've had an issue like this copyright issue um, or something with a photo. You know, which way would you prefer to spend your money being proactive, practicing prevention or um, having to pay money that you really don't want to spend because of a consequence? Plus, there's an investment aspect here, right? Because by investing and that's what you're doing, by investing your money in a in a practice like yours, um, what you're actually doing is you're now turning up your search results. You're 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 really amping up your your practice's ability on the Web to have a presence which then will likely bring in more clients, which will likely bring in more money. So really, it's an investment. It's not just you're just spending money like for your car insurance. You need the car insurance. So you've got to do it. But this is something by investing it now, you're investing in your practice, essentially. 
Well, and what I love about SEO as an investment is that even though Google um, announces core algorithm updates every year and it is changing, and so there are things you need to do. Um, one of my favorite, uh, I call it, you know, one of my favorite things to do in our team, our team meets for an extended period of time every single week and we talk about client struggles and successes. Um, but they'll be like, but when we're having a down day, I will share screen and do searches in the areas where some of my very first clients were a couple of years ago, and they're still showing up at the top. And I'm like, because we did this the right way, we did the in-depth work. And then the clients have continued to take some of my suggestions. Like it's an investment that they haven't paid me a penny for maybe two years. And they're still at the top of Google. And that's still bringing in consistent calls. And of course, occasionally we do get people that are like, and I've added a new location. Can I, can you optimize for that? Or I hired a new clinician with another specialty. But so often, and we do have alumni plans to help people, you know, keep up after they've done their SEO. But I, one of my favorite things about SEO, as opposed to some other forms of digital marketing, is that it is, it is something where a lot of the initial investment is upfront, and then it pays off, you know, in regular clients that call you for hopefully years, if we've done it in a way that the new algorithm updates will um, reward. Sure. And... You know, we've been talking a little bit about it. I'm, I don't want to ask you a direct question. Are there other misconceptions that you found that practitioners have? You know, we've talked a good bit about the use of stock images and you know the copywriting aspects. Are there other misconceptions you found that seem to be pretty common among practitioners? Yeah, I think one of them is about the time factor. A lot of people really underestimate the amount of time that SEO will take. And some of this is, again, those like cold emails that you get saying, 30 days, we're going to get you dramatic results. And that's not how Google typically works. There are times where I have clients who see pretty huge results in a month or two because they're in a less competitive area or they have an older domain that we're making these changes and Google already trusts them to some degree. But often it takes a lot of time. And so if somebody is promising you that they can get you extreme results in 30 days, that's probably a red flag that you want to pay attention to. And another and another misconception I think is that they can be totally hands off. If you're totally hands off in the SEO process, um then people are maybe doing things that are a little bit shadier to get you ranking well um versus we ask for a lot of commitment from our you know we meet every single month that we're working with someone to talk about their SEO and talk about their strategy and talk about their practice. Because I think a key part of it is not just getting them ranking for any keywords, but understanding their practice well enough to get them ranking for the right keywords and for their niche and to make sure that everything's being done in a way that really represents their practice accurately. And so that whole, like, you know, we want to minimize that, that time for the practice owner, but it does take some time. It takes some time to get ranking well. And there's going to be some sort of investment of um, your time. Obviously, if you're learning to do it yourself, there's a huge investment of your time. And I also would make the argument, I think it's really important that you work with somebody who understands our field because there are some of these issues that we're talking about, like asking for reviews for your business. Of course, somebody outside the field is going to advise you to do that because it, it truly will help your SEO. The conversation that I'll have with people, though, is how do we get reviews that are legitimate in an ethical way, taught which it's no big secret. It's talking to your colleagues and saying, Hey, can you give me an honest review? And so, you know, if you look at my reviews for my practice, it's like people saying I've worked with Jessica for years or whatever, you know, very honest reviews about who they are, not, not from clients. And, and we'll talk about what to do if a client does give you a review, because 
of course, we don't want to acknowledge that they are a client and they might just spontaneously find you and give you a review, even if you aren't asking for it. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of value too to talking to somebody that understands our profession and understands kind of that ethical uh, responsibility that you have to your field. Yeah, I see that come up a lot when we're talking to about reviews of clients where a negative review gets posted. And the person's automatic response is, oh, I want to respond and rebut. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, Jessica's cringing now. Yes, right there. Right. Absolutely. I cringe when you're talking about it. I'm cringing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a negative review as my very first review on Google. Eventually, the client actually took it down. But of course, yeah. I didn't ask them to take it down. Um, and I didn't respond to it at all publicly. Now, with the way that everything has changed, there's a couple of years later, three years later, there's an advantage to responding to the review as far as the algorithm goes. And But I recommend doing it extremely carefully, something along the lines of, we're so sorry to hear that that is your experience. If you would like, you're welcome to um, reach out to, or we're so sorry to hear this. If you'd like to discuss it further, you're welcome to reach out to us at such and such phone number or email, because that doesn't technically confirm that they were a client. Mm -hmm. It doesn't dispute their experience or invalidate their perception of the experience. Um, But it also shows that it shows Google that you're being at least responsive to people's feedback. And that's interesting because one of the things that I've talked to clients about is that same line, but is the idea of reaching behind the scenes to the person and saying, can you take down the negative review and we will work with you to resolve things. But you're saying that in your opinion, you can actually do respond and that will help your Google result. You just have to do it in a way that doesn't sacrifice confidentiality. Yeah. So we're actually looking at offering a service. It's not up yet, but where our staff would be able to respond to those reviews and they would have a set from the a set like statement that they would make about negative reviews from the practice owner. So our staff would have no way of knowing if the client is a client or not. They would just see that. And so so funny story, I do my own, I did my own SEO for years, but now Aspire, my practice actually a lot of times outsources to my to my SEO business because now I'm too busy for it to make a lot of sense sometimes for me to do that. I do some of the SEO work on my site. Um, but so we use my practice always as a guinea pig for these types of things to try it out because I like to make sure it's getting real results before I offer it to clients. Um, but that's the I that that's where I see us moving is like responding in a way that it still looks good for the algorithm, but not in a way that confirms in any way, shape or form that they are a client. How I responded to it when it happened to me, because I was not responding to it at all on Google at that time, was I asked some colleagues for some honest reviews and got a couple of honest reviews. And then um, I did the next conversation that I had. I didn't ask them to take it down, but I did say, you know, I noticed that you said this on Google um, I'm curious, you know, can we talk about that more? Can we explore that more? And we had a really good conversation and then they naturally took it down without me asking to. Um, and I was careful and I got consultation from a couple of peers before I had that conversation because I didn't want it to come across as me being really defensive or, you know, any of my stuff showing up in the therapy space. Um, but just wanted to open the doors for the conversation. And I had some very wise advice from some colleagues after staffing that with them, that then I think our conversation was able to be productive. And I was able to come in at a place not from, oh my gosh, my business is going to tank, but from a place of concern about the client and their experience. Sure. Now, Jessica, earlier on, you had mentioned about backlinks. One, I'm not sure if everybody knows what they are, but if you could clarify what they are 
and also talk about the ethical issues that you do see come up with backlink. Yeah. So backlinks are any link from another site to your site. And so um, there are a lot of different ways to get backlinks. I could literally talk all day about them. What um, when it comes into play that it's kind of concerning is when um, somebody reaches out to you, says your SEO sucks, I can fix it for you, you know, for this small fee of XYZ, we'll get good backlinks for you. And so, or you pay another site to put a link to your site on theirs, that's paying for backlinks. Then they have the ability to put backlinks for you on sites that are totally unrelated to our field that are spammy that are um, not good. Now, anybody can put a backlink, you know, can put a link to your website on any site. Um, but you come up with a problem when you've paid someone to put back, you know, to put 100 backlinks out there into the universe for you. And now you have backlinks from sites that are very questionable and not um, at all uh, what you would um, expect to see, you know, not at all related to your business. And then, uh, so, so that's really a lot of times where we see the ethical concerns come up. Google actually in their guidelines specifies that you are not supposed to pay for backlinks. What Google wants to see is that you are naturally proving yourself and providing valuable content that other people want to link to because your website's so awesome. And so Google assumes that um, if a bunch of people are linking to your site, it's because your site has amazing content and people trust you. And so they, um, and so then Google will give you better rankings because so many other people trust you. Of course, Google wants to trust you too. But when you try to game the system and earn, you know, and just buy your way to better, you know, to the top, you do end up getting caught, so to speak, by Google sometimes. And that can, um, can be very troubling. And so we recommend that people really think a lot about ethical ways to get on these things. Um, for instance, directories. Psychology Day doesn't actually give you a backlink. And I know that's the most popular directory in our field, um, but a lot of the others do. Therapy Den, Good Therapy, all of those do. Directories are a really good way. You're paying for your listing, not specifically for the backlink. So that's okay. There are a lot of other free directories that you can get on get on that maybe aren't directly related to our field, but they're still legitimate directories that get your name, address, and phone number. It's called NAP information, name, address, and phone number out there and get you a backlink. Um, you can do guest blog posting, which is one of my favorite ways because then you're helping out the, you know, you're writing a really a good blog that's helping your co your colleague and you get helped out because at the bottom there's an about the guest author section that links back to you. Um, you can get on a resource list. Like our, our public school system has a resource list and I have a backlink from them because I'm listed as a potential resource. So there are a lot of really ethical ways to get backlinks, but of course they take more time than um, to build than just buying a thousand backlinks, you know, from somebody. Um, it does also look better to Google if you build these backlinks up slowly over time versus just all of a sudden having a thousand backlinks. And so that's one of the things that I keep an eye on on our dashboard is um, if I see anybody that like grows their backlinks by 125% in a month. I'll reach out to the SEO specialist working with them and be like, hey, make sure that on their call this month, you make sure that they didn't buy backlinks and talk to them about it because it can look kind of suspicious to Google when you have a thousand new backlinks in a month. So I just want to confirm. So I understand, um, and maybe some, some of our listeners can understand too. So it sounds to me like you're saying though, you don't want to be buying backlinks because you know there's a whole ethical portion there. And it just seems 
you know, I, we, and, and, and as attorneys, we often talk about this. There's a, there's a feeling of kind of skeeviness about that, right? And if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. But you can have some sort of arrangement with other businesses or organizations where if they say, hey, look, you know, I'm willing to give you a backlink, you know, because I like what you're doing or because you're reputable in the community. And that's okay, though, is what yeah. it sounds like you're saying. Okay. That's actually gotcha. really encouraged. We want you to get backlinks. We just want you to go about it in an organic way that mm-hmm. is, that looks reputable to Google. But yeah, no backlinks in and of themselves are not the problem. It's these. Right. I'm telling you, with SEO, anything that they say is going to happen overnight, that is, that should always be a red flag. I'm going to get you a thousand backlinks in a month. That should definitely be a red flag because that tells you that they're probably doing it in such a way that is not and we've seen this done in a couple of different ways. We've seen it done where they just put you on really skeevy sites that are just huge list huge lists of things. And then we've also seen it where people where they like create a bunch of pages on all their client sites and interlink all their client sites on these like hidden pages and those sorts of things, you know, if it if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not. But there are a lot of great ways to get legitimate backlinks if um you put in the time. Question for you about key links. You know, I'm I myself am learning about all this stuff. You know, and I'm not that well versed in it either. Um, but keyword selection, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So again, I could spend like all day talking about keyword research and figuring out what the keywords are. But keyword research is trying to figure out what terms your ideal clients are using. Um. So, like the example of my ideal clients, we're not looking for prolonged exposure. I think that sometimes we talk to people who have a tendency to want to just aim for whatever keywords have the highest search volume. And so, for instance, I rank well in my relatively non-competitive area. It's getting more competitive, but mostly non-competitive area for both the keyword therapy, therapist near me, and for the keyword trauma therapy. Right. If somebody's searching for trauma therapy, they're actually usually a better fit for me, you know, because they know what right. they need and I like to do that. Where it can get to be kind of an ethical gray area is where somebody goes, oh, but couples therapy, there's a ton of people searching for. So I'm going to put a right. page about couples therapy and they've had no training about couples therapy. They've just seen that there's a huge, um, that there's a huge search volume for it. And so they throw up a couples therapy page without proper right. training just to get new clients in the door. And that's what I want to avoid with SEO in general is I want you to be getting so many calls from SEO that you have the ability to be picky and only take on people that you have the tr- true training and experience to really help. You know, we get enough calls that when somebody calls um, where addiction's the primary issue, I can say, not my area of expertise, I can feel 100% comfortable referring them to some of my colleagues in my area, knowing they'll get much better care because I'm not afraid of when the next phone is going to ring. The phone, or w- the next time the phone's going to ring, I know it'll ring soon enough and we'll get somebody that's a better fit for our particular practice. Do you have anything else, Melissa? No, but I'm just taking it all in. This is all really yeah, good information. And and again, just a reminder of, you know, the importance of, you know, as you're learning these new skills for online marketing or SEO, just to make sure that you're doing it in a way that is ethical. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because I think this is something that even as an attorney, you know, I talk to other attorneys. Um, yeah, I think it, a vast amount of people are do not have this knowledge, have no idea how to, you know, Go about getting this knowledge or doing this. Um, so I think it's just natural that someone like yourself can provide these services to a practitioner. Um, it's so critical to running party, you know, just running a 
not only an ethical practice, but a successful thriving practice. It's just crucial part of it just has to be part a crucial part of the strategy um, because you know we've talked about this on here on our podcast before. You're not just running a therapy practice; you're running a business, and this is just part of what it means to be in business nowadays in, in today's world. Yeah, I think as therapists, I know when I put my website up and got it connected to Google Analytics, I like didn't see anybody going to it. And I didn't understand why I had no idea what SEO was. And so I'll never forget, I was at my sister's house and had like my brother-in-law log on to my website. And I got on Google Analytics because clearly this thing was broken since nobody was showing up on my beautiful website. And I could clearly see that he was there and I could see what pages. And I was like, oh, darn, like the analytics are right. And they're just not showing up. And um, that's, I think, when I started to realize that I needed to do something different, because if these analytics were right, what was the point of having a website if nobody was finding it? And so I had to get, had to learn this information. I'll tell you, I had to go outside our field to learn it. And so I read a lot of SEO books. I read literally every day blog posts about SEO and the latest practices and the algorithm changes. But going outside our, um, our, our field to get this information, I can't even tell you how often I'm like, oh, and how does that apply to therapists? Because it applies very differently to our profession. And so that's, you know, I think that that's a big thing. I'm like, man, I could have saved so much time. I could have, you know, done this twice as fast if I'd had, um, if I'd had a resource like our online course, um, because that I wouldn't have had the money maybe at, at some point, you know, the first time in my practice to have uh, even hired out, but at least I could have split my time in half by having um, like the SEO training that we do or our online course. The point is, I think if wherever you're looking, um, just know that there are things that are unique to our our field and everything needs to be filtered through that lens of everything you learned in grad school. It needs to be filtered through the lens of what you've seen in um, your code of ethics. And you need to know when to consult with somebody else to make sure that you're really staying within those lines because otherwise we can accidentally get ourselves into these really gray areas with having only the best of intentions, but it really does sometimes look different in our field. You have, um, is there one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today? If there, you know, if you, if you could select one or two things, what would that be? To, okay. So thing number one, SEO can really help grow your practice. It can be a really critical marketing tool that can make a difference long-term and save you a ton of money because you invest in it once and then you can invest a smaller amount to maintain it, a much smaller amount. Um, so that's one thing is SEO is really powerful. But then the second thing is not only is it powerful, but it you do need to always be putting it through your framework of being a therapist and checking in with your gut and checking in with these things. And yes, there are people that will make it sound really complicated and will throw around a lot of really complicated terms. But at the end of the day, it's worth doing your due diligence to try to understand those terms. My One of my favorite things to do is SEO training and working one-on-one with someone to teach them SEO. And um, part of that is like, I always say, I'm like, if you could get through graduate school, you can absolutely learn this. You can totally learn it. It's a matter of, is it worth your time? And for some practice owners, the answer is yes. And so then they're my training clients and I love it. And if the answer is no, then they become usually our done for you clients where we do it for them. But regardless, if even if you're going to out- outsource it, you still need to ask questions about what people are doing on your site. You still need to understand, is this being done in a way that is ethical? Um, because ultimately, you're still responsible for what's up on your site. And um, 
I think, you know, I say a lot of times, I'm like, bring on the questions. I'll answer 10 of them. It might take me a couple of days if you send me an email with 10 questions because I tend to write a book in response to them. But I really do encourage like, you know, the people that ask a thousand questions after having a consult with one of us usually are the ones that end up being our best clients because they really care about what's going on their site and what's being done on their site. So if you're looking into outsourcing any part of SEO, just make sure that you are asking those questions and that you're not being so intimidated by the big words people are throwing around that you forget to ask those questions because they're, they're how you can ensure that your website is still, is still in line with uh, your code of ethics. And for anyone who's listening today and they really want to get in touch with you, they really want to find you and learn more about your services, how can they do that? So our website is um, simplifiedseoconsulting.com. And from there, there's a button where um, you can book a consult for free for 30-minute Zoom consult with one of our staff where we can talk about your practice and talk about your site and what might be a good fit. Um, Or if you just have a quick question, send me an email, jessica at simplifiedseoconsulting.com. It might take me a day or two. Like I said, if I read your question, I know I'm going to write a book. I might wait till I have time to fully answer it. But I do love answering questions and talking about this stuff. It's fun. And and I want to make sure you have the resources you need. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a pleasure to have someone. Um, It's a little bit different than some of the things we sometimes talk about. But I think it's so critically important to, you know, as we said, running um, a successful practice. So... Um, I'm really grateful for you sharing your knowledge with us today. That about wraps up for us today. We thank you again uh, for joining us. Um, we do hope that you found this as interesting as Melissa and I certainly did. And um, you know, as always, you can find us on the web. Um, you can find us on our Facebook page. And as I always say, we always welcome all feedback, whether it's good or bad. Um, if you have questions, anecdotes, if you have your own story to tell about SEO or questions, Please submit them all. We want them all. Um, Other than that, we will talk to you soon. Be well and take care. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.